Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast presented by Sloan. The swingman, the kid, Ken Griffey Jr., is going to be joining us on the podcast. Uh, Before we get into Junior, I have a little something I want to say. Um, There's obviously um, big things happening in the world today um, with uh, the civil rights movement that's going on, with the Black Lives uh, protests, Black Lives Matter, the unnecessary um, murder of George Floyd. Now, you know, for so long, because of my bond and my friendships with my black teammates, I never understood their fear. Um, Their fear that they live with daily and not out of ignorance, but out of negligence. Because every day we're a family in the locker and we're brothers in there. Um, We spend all that time together. And now I realize really how much so many of them suppress that fear, how much they hid that anger. They hid that moment that Um, Something happened that was extremely racist. Um, An incident of racism occurred. And they didn't share that with us because they didn't want to ruffle feathers or bring their quote unquote issues into our locker room. And it hurts me to know that the feelings of some of my closest friends, you know, it hurts me to know that I am or was part of the pain Not intentionally, of course, but because it wasn't right in my face and I didn't see it. And for that, I've learned. I'm going to continue to learn. Um, I'm going to try to be the best friend I can be to to those gentlemen as well as to other people who need it. Um, Educate myself and do what I can to be the best human being that I can um, continue to raise my children how I was raised. That's with love and appreciation for anybody, no matter the color of their skin, their gender, uh, their you know uh, preferences in life. It doesn't matter. We're all human beings. We're in this together. We have one life to live. Let's treat each other with love, with respect. Um, and hopefully uh, years from now, we can look back at this moment as a defining moment where Uh, society, humans, and people uh, came together and really united to become one. And uh, I just just felt like I needed to say that before we got off onto baseball and talking life, but it's an important issue that's going on in the world today, and I just really felt like um, I wanted to share that because that's how I felt. And uh, um, I'm I'm sad for so many people, and I'm also um, excited at the possibilities of of what kind of progress can be made through all of this and that on the other side of this, that we can all be better and we can all be, um, uh, like I said, one. All right. I'm thrilled. We are honored here at Off the Mound to have the legend, the icon, Ken Griffey Jr. joining us. But first, I've got to tell you about Sloan's no-touch hand-washing technology. It's state-of-the-art and second to none and couldn't come at a better time. So we want to thank them for providing that technology to the people out there so we can wash our hands and stay safe. Now, Junior, he was the first overall pick of the 1987 MLB draft. He's a 13-time All-Star, 10-time Gold Glover. He's a former MVP with the Seattle Mariners, who then spent the second half of his career with the Cincinnati Reds, just adding to his home run total. The seven-time Silver Slugger amassed a staggering 630 
career home runs, good enough for seventh all time. Now, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, just outside of Vancouver, BC. Of course, we loved our Blue Jays. We loved our Expos up there in Canada. But being in that area of the world, I love the Seattle Mariners. And there was nobody better to watch than Ken Griffey Jr. You know, the moments that he had. I used to go down to Mariner games and sit there and shag home run balls in batting practice. Um, I'd watch every move he did out in center field. Every moment that he had, I, his my eyes were glued on him because he was the best player in the game. Um, he was that guy who, you know, was the Michael Jordan of baseball. Um you know, the moments the Edgar Martinez doubled and watching him come around the bases and slide into home plate and his whole team jumps on top of him. I mean, we're talking right there. That's putting Seattle on the map. And how ironically that happens to be him who scores that winning run just seemed very fitting. Well, pan ahead years later, now I'm playing for the Florida Marlins. I'm playing against the Cincinnati Reds. I get the bases loaded, bottom of the seventh inning. I'm at like 110 pitches, 115 pitches, and who comes up? Ken Griffey Jr. My manager leaves me in to face him. What an incredible moment. I remember my, my catcher, Mike Redman, comes out to the mound, who was also from the Pacific Northwest, and he said, man, we've been waiting our whole life for this. And he was right. It was an incredible moment in my career um, to compete against Junior on the biggest stage like that. Uh, and then I was fortunate enough to be his teammate in Cincinnati, and now fortunate enough after both of us are done playing him with a much better career than me, of course, uh, to sit down and talk baseball, life, family, fatherhood, his love of flying, his love of fast cars. You're going to find it all right here as we talk all of that stuff and much more going off the mound with Ken Griffey Jr. Jr., what's up, brother? How you doing, man? I'm good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Well... Obviously, baseball isn't being played right now. A ton of people miss it. What about you? Do you miss baseball? Do you miss playing baseball? Or are you good? Uh, do I miss playing baseball? Yes. Do I miss the day-to-day -day grind? No. Uh, you know, the, just the fact that, you know, my body is somewhat healing is, is good. But uh, do I miss going into a locker room and, and talking junk and then, you know, playing a game, competing? Yes, I do miss that. Well, you, you said your your body's healing. Uh, 50's looking pretty good on you. Compared, you know, does does 50 feel better than 40? No, no, no. 40, I was still playing. <laughs> uh, 50, <laughs> I was like, nah, no, no. You know when they say that you wake up and you go, oh my, yeah, I woke up at 45. I threw my back out on my birthday, which is hilarious because we were at a uh, a cowboy game and I just woke up and I was like oh I can't move and they started laughing my kids like what's wrong I'm like I can't move and they're like <laughs> you're 45 um and then so 50 I was like I didn't move from you know I like no I'm not getting out of bed I'm not doing this and they just start laughing they're like dad you're 50 let's go so uh I didn't do anything on my 50th um I tried to play 50 holes of golf um you know notice I said I didn't try to do anything uh I ended up getting like 38 holes in and uh, the kids wanted to go get something to eat. They, they played like nine holes with me. So that was good. Oh, that's outstanding. Right? What a, what a way to spend your 50th right there. That's, I hope when I'm, when I turn 50 that my kids want to do the exact same thing. That'd be awesome. Um, looking back, yeah, pretty you know, good kids. I, you know, going through your, 
yeah, you do, man. You got, you got great kids. And I only knew them when they were little, but, um, you know, it seems like you've done uh, an incredible job. Well, at least mama has of, of uh, making sure that they got their head on straight and doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm the fun dad. You know how that, that is. You come home and want to do all the Absolutely. fun stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I just got, if you're cool with that, I just want to go to a little trip down memory lane with you. Just, you know, all the way back to, um, you know, getting drafted. Um, you know, the number one pick in the country, you know, your father playing in the big leagues, uh, the expectations that came with all that, like dealing with that as a young kid, how, how did you handle that? Was it, was it hard or, um, did you just kind of go with the flow? Cause you were just having fun playing baseball. Um, no, it's, it's a lot of work. I think that, you know, the, the misconception for me is that I don't do anything. I just sit around and, you know, let natural ability take care of itself. I, I like to do things by myself. Um, I'm pretty good at that. Like if you sit by me and and work out together, it could probably take four hours. But if I do it by myself, it could take 45 minutes. Um, you know, I've had the the luxury of, you know, when I was in Seattle, the guys understood that. A um, little different when I got to Cincinnati. Um, it took them a while to to realize like just let him go you know i always said yeah i play for the name on the front of that jersey but i believe in the name in the back and it's my career and it's not yours and i've been doing this all my life and you know when you get hurt things happen uh you know it is what it is but you know do i regret you know the the things that i've done you know the way i play no um i'm always going to give you 110 percent um and that's me. But going back to me getting drafted, it was a couple of days before the draft where they were talking about uh, me getting drafted number one overall. And my dad sat me down. He's like, hey, you can, you know, not be drafted number one and could wait for Cincinnati or Atlanta and Pittsburgh, I think was two. Um, and I just remember being able to say, I want to go number one. I want to be the first pick in the country. I think that was for me, that was important, um, uh, is to be able to create my own path. And you know, my dad was cool with it. He was like, okay, let's go number one. And you know, the night before the, the actual draft, I signed my contract. So, uh, they could announce it at my house that I was going to be the number one overall pick. And then like three hours later, after that, I was in Atlanta taking uh, ground balls in the outfield with Willie Starger, who said that we're going to work on your your footwork. And for the next two <laughs> days, I went out there and in left field and uh, worked on my footwork. The funny thing about that is everybody thinks, you know, remembers Willie Starger was a first baseman. He was an outfielder. And, yep, you know, he just said, we're going to get your footwork and get it right. And for like the first 40 minutes, I didn't even have a ball. He was just like, we're going to step. Here's the steps that you're going to need to take. And that was part of my development was listening to guys who played the position and, and take everything they, they instilled in me and, and use it. And that was it. You know, the same techniques that I would teach a little kid, Willie Stardew taught me at 17. Yeah, you know what? And like kudos to you too, because like a ton of kids, you know, you know this, they come through the locker room, they're there, um, they're around big leaguers because their dad is playing. 
and they don't absorb all that. They don't take it in, but you took it in and turned it into, you know, obviously an amazing career. Um, you know, you make your big league debut. Uh, then you, then you, you know, your first swing in the kingdom is a homer. Like I was, I was just like checking stuff out and I, I, you know, I, you know, watching games in the Pacific Northwest and, and seeing a lot of your games in Seattle. Um, what a special moment, you know, with the hype and everything like that to come into the kingdom. You're like, all right, you know, because you made your first start on the road and then you come home and your first swing in the kingdoms an oppo homer, shocker, um, fastball down and away and just bridging somebody left field. So um, what was that well, like, you know, yeah, with all the, the crowd? Because the place was going nuts when that happened. Um, you know, it, it's funny because um, I got my first hit off of Stu and then I think I went like 0 for 14 after that. Um you know, and as a rookie, I'm like, I'm getting sent down. I can't believe I'm going. I'm just terrible and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, we get to Seattle. And once I got my first home run, I was like, okay, I got it now. And, um, you know, the home runs are accidents that just happen. Um, just trying to have a good swing on the pitch. And and uh, I got it about there. And, you know, I, I looked at my home run trot and I realized how brutal it was. Um, <laughs> and had to really work on it. <laughs> that was one of the things I look back and go, oh, that was so bad. Uh, well, you had tons uh, of practice you, afterwards, so you got really good at it. Yeah, you know, uh, I didn't have that big league trot that, you know, that you, you, you get with a couple years in. I didn't have that. Uh, I was more of like a clumsy uh, pony at that time. But, uh, you know, a few oh. home runs later, I got to it. And then, like, you know, I, I think this is just such a cool moment. And um, to be able to to hit a home run in the same game as your dad. Like, you know, it's one thing to play. You know, there's to be able to play with your dad is special enough in itself. But then in the same game to sit there and go deep together. Like, when by the way, when you came in, was he like, mine went further? You know? Uh, well, there's a couple things that happened that day. Uh, uh, All right. Well... When he got to the team, he was like, hey, this is your team. Um, I'm just here to to help. And which he said, I'll be dad when we leave the ballpark. But while I'm here, I'm your teammate. And that took a lot of pressure off of me because, you know, even though the first at bat, I did call him dad. I was like, let's get, get a hit, dad. And everybody in the bench started laughing because it's the first time <laughs> that they've really heard somebody say it and actually mean it, you know. So, um, but... You know, going to that, that game, you know, he's got a couple friends, you know, Dave Winfield, Chili Davis, uh, a couple other guys that he knows. And uh, he hits a home run. He touches home plate. And he said, that's how you do it, son. As he's shaking my hand, I was like, no, he didn't. As I'm looking at him. And they gave me the green light on 3-0. and And I had to take a double take. Like, it was like, oh, you give me the green light? Okay. All right. And uh, when I hit it out, I couldn't wait to get back to home plate. Couldn't wait to get in the dugout. He made me shake everybody's hand before he shook mine. And we sat next to each other and he elbowed me. He said, you know what we did? I go, yeah, home runs. And he is, you know, at that time, 38, 39. Um, he's looking at history. I'm still in the moment of the game. And I didn't realize, didn't really realize what that moment met, meant until I was 38 and I passed uh, Frank Robinson on the home run talk, uh, chart. And I was in the outfield and I could reflect, like, I just passed him. Now I know what my dad felt like when we went back to back and how hard that is. And, you know, that little piece of history, 
So it was uh, a trip. And then Dave Winfield proceeded to hit two home runs and we lost that game. Uh, he said, I want to be part of history too. I was like, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, having a dad out there, you know, someone that um, people, you know, people outside of sports don't understand having a dad that shows up at a game is important for a little league game. No matter if you say anything, if you're that dad that don't say nothing or you're that dad that, that jumps and screams and runs around, the fact that you're there, my dad probably seen 20 games from my little league until, you know, being in the big leagues, just because, you know, being in New York, being in Atlanta, not being able to come home. And plus yeah. the games that he was there, I tried to hit a 500 foot home runs. There's times where I was, uh, he'd come see me. We were in Cincinnati. Uh, he saw me the first two at bats. I went over two with two strikeouts. And then I drive down to the ballpark after he said, how'd you do? I said, well, I went three for uh, three for five, two home runs and a double. He was like, you couldn't do that when I was there. Uh, I just had a hard time because I did, I didn't see him, Yeah, you know, because he was gone. And um, so it, it was tough, but you know, it, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, he had to provide for family and, you know, I reaped the benefits of, of him still playing at age, you know, 38, 39 and 40. And, um, you know, we talk a lot. I mean, we still talk a lot. We talk probably four times a week. Um, and probably more now with the, you know, the situation with the countries in that, uh, I'll call him, check on him, and, you know, he'll be screaming in the background. And, you know, so, uh, what's funny is I sent him a, a, a PlayStation so we could play games on there. And he's like, I am 70 years old. What could I actually play with <laughs> you guys? So, the, you know, he's over there now. He's playing Call of Duty with all of us. You know, he's got his grandkids and everybody's online. And and, and I hear, did grandpa die again? <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh, uh, they're like, grandpa, come on. And he's like, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. Right. And, you know, but, you know, but too many it's buttons a lot of fun. Him. I mean, There's way too many buttons to push. Uh, yeah, he, he's used to the red button, like from Atari joystick and one red button, but, uh, he, he's, he's so fun to be on, uh, on the game with, um, you know, it's funny cause this call sign is like red death something. And I'm like, how'd you get that? And he was like, I don't know. I just came up with something. So we have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. And then, you know, like all those, you know, you know, you talked about the games he was unable to be there for because he's, you know, providing for your family and doing those things and setting that example. Years later, he's retired. It's a Father's Day in St. Louis. He's there. Chris Carpenter's on the mound. Tater, 500 home run. What a, a special moment. You know, we all want to do something special when our dad's in the stands. You know, I'm just trying to get through the first inning. And you're going out there and hitting 500 on, on Father's Day. How special was that? for you to be able to, to share that moment with him and, and give him that gift as he's looking on sitting there. Well, I didn't realize that one swing can make so many people happy and leave my leave. Um, cause they traveled with me from four ninety nine, So they were on planes and, you know, trains and automobiles. I mean, so, um, uh, the fact that I did it on father's day, you know, was special, but, uh, you know, he was, you know, he was, probably one of the biggest support, just relax, just go up there, pick out one pitch, try to hit it. And that was it. He didn't, you know, he didn't go up there, 
you know, hey, you got to do it today. You got to do this. But uh, I tell you what, after that swing and after we had the, the hug and after the game when I saw him, uh, he got on the plane and he left. He was like, "I'm out. I'm gone. Uh, <laughs> I, I got to go back. Enough I got to go back to my food. life. I'm out of here." <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it, it was it was quite interesting flying with the uh, uh, the the Griffey family, as we call it. Uh, you know, it, it was like I call one of the things that we travel. I call it uh, Griffey Force Family Fun, and that's whatever Dad wants to do. But uh, we had a blast. I mean, it was fun while it lasted. Um, and, and what's funny is. You know, he got to see uh, 600. He was actually in the stadium getting ready to sit down when I hit 600. So he's been around for 400, 500, 600. He missed one, That's one 100, 200, and, 300. And Trey, too. And Trey is a bat boy in 600. So you have your dad there and him. You know, you have a knack for, for doing uh, some special moments with, with your family in the stands. It's pretty cool stuff. Well, I try to uh, make everybody happy. You know, one swing, like I said, one swing can make a whole lot of people happy. Um, you know, what's funny about that is on the 600, the kids just got out of school and they were, they drove down to Miami and, you know, it was the first time that I was going to see them. And uh, when I hit it, they started laughing. They were like, you just waited for us to show up. I was like, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm good with that. But, <laughs> um, but you know, it, it's it's one of those things that, you know, a special moment that you can share with everybody. Um, you know, all my teammates, you know, coming out the dugout, give me a hug and, and high five and congratulate me. You, you know, the, you know, the, the baseball is a place where if you do something special, you know, people take the time to stand up and give you uh, uh, a standing O and uh, uh, really appreciate what you've done. And uh, whether you're a home player or a road player, you know, they, they you know, getting a standing O in Philly uh, and LA and Chicago was, was pretty, uh, pretty special. And I will always remember that. Um, all these moments you had, you know, the big home runs that you hit, um, they're, they're great memories, and um, you made so many people happy, and they're a big part of your career. The catches that you made, robbing home runs, all this stuff. But for a lot of people, and especially in the Pacific Northwest, one of the biggest memories they have is you running the bases. And Edgar hitting that double down the line in 95. What was going through your head when, when you're leading off first base and he hits that ball? You know, take us through what what was going on there, and and what you were thinking, and and what it felt like when you crossed home plate. Well, getting a you know the, the things that you work on in spring training, getting your your lead, your secondary lead, and getting a good jump off the ball uh, is very important. And um, you know, those are the things that in, in spring training, even though you work on them, they're still challenging because it is spring training. And uh, we made it a, a, a pride thing to, to pick up the mail. And, and, you know, all those bags, you know, you want to score. Um, you know, you want to be, have a 100-run score. Those are goals that we set. If you have a 100-run score, then you're going to be special. And, you know, I think that year, uh, three guys had 100. Um, I was on the DL for... 73 days but um you know it was important for me to do my part and, and be a part of you know you know the the history of, of trying to to score i mean you look at ricky henderson all-time run scored all-time walks 
you know, things like that, that people don't really see in the stat book because you look at hits, doubles, home runs, RBIs, but people have to do the little things for, uh, to be successful for a team to be successful. And that was one of the goals that we set was, you know, make sure that, you know, whether you're on first is make it hard on a third base coach to make that decision to hold you. You want him to, you, the exact words from Lou was, uh, you want his ass on the line. And you know, <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah. And that was our goal is to make it so tough for, if he makes the right call, it's good. If he makes the wrong call, he doesn't want to come back in that dugout and look at Lou. And, uh, you know, Sammy, you know, did a great job. He was like, hey. And when Edgar hit that ball, I wasn't going to stop. It was going to be a play at the plate. And I knew that. And I only looked at him. I looked at him right before I got to second base. And that was it. And then I don't remember ever looking at him again until I gave him a hug at the end. Wow, man. Well, that moment right there when you slid across home plate, um, it really did kind of put Seattle Mariners baseball on the map. You know, your guys' team was so good, um, you know, and now all of a sudden it just – it really became noticeable across the country. And, uh, you know, what a, what a special moment that was to, to give everything you had. You could see it as you're running around the bases and uh, and so cool amongst many other great baseball memories that you've you've given a ton of people, including your family, which is most important over the years. So uh, great sitting down here and catching up with Ken Griffey Jr., hearing stories of his baseball career. Now we want to know a little bit about Ken Griffey Jr., the man, the person, uh, the dad, a father of three. You got two boys and a girl. Um, you got one. You got them all in the house right now, but you got one left before you're an official empty nester. Um, what's that What's that been like being a dad and, and you know, having that time away from baseball to watch uh, your kids grow up and aspire to who they want to be? Well, it's great. I think um, I tell my kids that I have an abnormal job, but I'm a normal dad with an abnormal job. Um, I want to be known as Trey Tarrant and Tevin's dad, not so much, hey, that's Ken Griffey Jr. and that's his kids. I want them to have uh, more success than I've, I've had. Um, you know, it, it's funny having them at the house and you know, 26, 24, and, and 18 um, today's graduation day. So he's got to drive around in his car and there's going to be like a little parade. So we've got to do that, um, at like five o'clock, but, um, uh, it's been quite interesting at the house. Um, you know, they're, they're good kids, but you can see that when they say something, you're like, oh, that's her side of the family. Or she'll say that's definitely the <laughs> job. Uh, <laughs> you can really see their mannerisms, uh, you know. I'll say something like, Taryn acts just like you. And she goes, well, Trey's acting just like you. I'm like, wait a minute, what about Tevin? Yeah, he's a combo. But it's never a dull moment. Um, we have a lot of fun. Um, like I said, you know, um, they understand that, you know, the, the pecking order is dad, mom, and then the kids. So, you know, they understand that. And, um, you know, I, I've the, the greatest compliment that I ever got from a teammate wasn't from uh, Jason LaRue. Um, said, uh, I wish we had more kids like yours in this locker room. And, you know, I, I tell my kids that it's not owed to you to be in this locker room. It, it's a privilege and it can be taken away. And, you know, if somebody asks you to do something, go do it. I remember, you know, one of the guys said, hey, in my locker, I, I, 
like, you know, can you go get my bat? It's over here, blah, blah, blah. Trey ran up there and grabbed it. And then he sat next to me. And uh, those are the things that um, meant a lot, mean a lot to me, is that, yeah, you're, you, you're my kid, but, you know, when you have the utmost respect for adults and, and you know, when they need something, uh, and they ask you for something, you go and do it. I, I hear, you know, yes, sir, and no, ma'am all the time from them. Uh, while Trey was in college, there was a lady playing golf, and she was a single, uh, single person and a uh, <clears throat> single golfer. And uh, she wrote a letter to Melissa and I about, you know, I hope my kids act like this when I'm not around them. And, you know, I shared the letter with Trey and Taryn and Tevin saying, you know, this is, this is important. I mean, not only did she felt that she needed to do this, she did it and sent it to us. That is a testament to, you know, Melissa and how she, she's molded these kids. Again, I'm the fun dad. I take credit for that part, but, uh, you know, the, the thing that is most important is, you know, I try to instill this to, you know, the kids that I speak with, the kids that I help, um, is you're the future uh, of this of this planet. So it's up to you to, to keep it going and make it better. And what, you know, I'm 50, I can't do a whole lot, you know? So it's up to you guys who, you know, are, are in the technology age that, uh, you know, can help this, this grow and help this planet out. Yeah. And there's nothing better than that. I agree. Like, you know, they can be a, a, you know, a pain in the neck when they're at home. And as long as you hear from other parents, when they go over to somebody else's house, you hear about how great their manners are, or, you know, how respectful they are. It's like, you just kind of go, okay, all right, I can forgive you for, for not listening at lunch because you're treating everybody else, um, you know, with the respect that they deserve. And that uh, good, good for you guys, man. That's, that's good to hear that they're, yeah. They're doing so well and, and playing sports. They're both going, uh, both of them went to Arizona. Your daughter's still at Arizona. Who, who's the, no, who's the better athlete she out of is. those two? Oh, my bad. Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's off the books. At, uh, Trey. She's off the books. Now. No. Mm. No, she, <laughs> Never off the books. No, no, no. no. I, I, I talked to Joe Carter yesterday. I said, it, Joe's like, yeah, mine's 37, 30, blah, blah. They're all over 30. I was like, are they still on payroll? He was like, well, I was like, oh. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is she's graduated. She's been out two years. Trey's been out three going on. Well, going on three, going on four. And my little guy, uh, he's getting ready to go into college. And I keep threatening to, that I'm going to return. I'm going to go to school with him just to keep him in line. Um, but, or I would send one of the, the older two to go with him. But uh, no, it's like I said, it's been quite interesting. Um, Trey's working, so he he goes to work in the morning. Uh, Taryn is trying to figure out what she wants to do. Um, so this has been, you know, quite interesting trying to sit down and figure out, hey, what are you interested in? And you know, she's narrowed it down what she wants to do. So she sent out her resume. Uh, and then my little guy's over there trying to figure out, uh, you know, what is he's going to do? What class is he going to take when he goes to school? And I said, right now you're in communications. Cause all I hear 
is all the friends that are going to the same school. Hey, how you doing, Tevin Griffey? How you doing, Tevin Griffey? I'm like, oh yeah, you're a communications major <laughs> already. <laughs> so it, it's been quite interesting. And, and it's, you know, sitting around for, you know, like I said, the last two months, it, it's been like, I can't believe these are my kids, you know? And they, you know, the funny thing is they sound like adults sometimes and then they go right back to being a kid and then they, I'm like, oh, could y'all make up your mind that y'all gonna be adults and y'all be kids? But, uh, you know, it, it's still funny because like if they want something from mom, it, all of a sudden I hear the boys go mommy and I'm like, really? And she folds. <laughs> and and yes, then Tam's like, daddy, I'm like, oh. right there. And then I hear daddy, I'm like, okay, how much money do you need? She was like, well, I was thinking exactly. about getting some gas and going to, I'm like, oh. So it, it, it's fun. I mean, you know, but I try to say like, as soon as I hear mommy, I say no. So they got me a t-shirt and all it says is no on it. Cause that's all they hear from me. I said, cause you didn't ask me, you asked mom, Well, you're going to say no, you probably right. But it, it, it's, right. you know, like I said, but it's been great. Uh, you know, right on. um, you know, the things that I, I, I miss doing, um, you know, I haven't been able to, to go up flying, uh, haven't been able to go back in the water scuba diving. Um, yeah, flying, dude. You know, how to... did you How did you get into that? What made you get into flying and, and the whole get your pilot's license? Well, I thought my kids you just want to get away from it. everybody. He's like, let me get up in the air. There ain't nobody up here can bother me. <laughs> no, no. He, he, uh, what's funny is my dad got his pilot's license at thirty six. I got my pilot's license at thirty six. Uh, I figured that. You know, my kids were going to go somewhere in Florida and I could fly down to see them and be home for dinner. You know, quick trips, you know. No, my kids go to Arizona, so I still got to take a plane, a big plane, a uh, commercial <laughs> flight. <laughs> and, and it's always two because there's no direct flights from, you know, Orlando to Tucson. So either I got to go to Atlanta and then over or I got to go to Phoenix and then over. So, uh so I was like, okay. And then my plane's not big enough without making, you know, a couple stops, which that's fine. So, um, I have done it. Um, I take a safety pilot with me. So, you know, a guy who's, you know, much more experienced than I am at, at flying. And it gives me a chance to, to, to learn. Like my first cross country trip is usually, you know, it's a 50 mile trip. I end up going from Orlando to San Diego and flying back and it was a time where i could learn it took me 26 hours um wow. headwinds yeah so you know we we landed in uh baton rouge louisiana fort stockton texas uh phoenix spent the night flew up to san diego uh played a couple days of golf flew up to orange county to watch the supercross because uh james stewart was racing that that weekend then sunday morning we left at like 6 a.m. I got home at like 8 p.m. But I got a wow, chance dude. to learn a lot about being up in the air. Uh, yeah. Where, you know, most people, when you fly, they give you a two-hour lesson. And the two hours is, the first hour is trying to remember what you just learned a week ago and then what you're going to learn. So being in the air for 26 hours really helped me uh understand i can go over systems i can learn you know this and that so it was great um but you know this year um right before the pandemic 
I wanted to learn how to be a DJ. So I bought all my DJ equipment. Um, and for like the first couple weeks, I'd see my wife come down the stairs going, mm-mm. now i picked two good songs i just couldn't blend them in right where i wanted to i had it in my mind how it's gonna sound but it just didn't sound that way now i can go downstairs and she's like okay now i still haven't got like the scratching part and and all the other stuff but you know i could you know i could do a little set where you know i give you 45 minutes of uh, a non-stop dancing Perfect. Well, when you get your uh, when you get finished and you're ready to go, and I need to hire you for a party, get, you know, send me your info, and uh, yeah, ju- Junior's sure disco that. disco ball or whatever you call it, um, we're gonna we're gonna make sure not, we uh, lock uh, you up for that. I got the swingman boom boom room downstairs. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Uh, the swingman you know, boom yeah, room. Yeah. We're, we're hiring him. He's he's gonna be doing parties, <laughs> birthdays, graduations. You're you're in charge gotcha. of DJing today, by the way. When that five o'clock. Uh, uh, graduation party, you're in charge of music. Uh, no, no, no. Usually I, when I'm in the car, I don't listen to music. That's the funny thing. It's like, I like everything quiet. I drive, uh, you know, I'll take a, I do this thing, um, every year called the gumball 3000. It's 3000 miles in seven days. So kind of like a uh, cannonball run last year. Yeah. But better. Yeah. Uh, so last year was uh, Mykonos to Ibiza, and you ferried oh, off yeah, Mykonos better, to Athens, yes. and then you, f- yeah, yeah, and uh, we drove through Albania, Montenegro, Venice, uh, Barcelona, into uh, wow. a port, and then we took over another ferry over to Ibiza and drove around there. But it was. Uh, and then the year before that was London to Tokyo and we took a, a plane, we got to Bologna and then flew from Bologna to Osaka and then drove around Japan, uh, from Osaka into Tokyo. And the year before that was Riga to Athens and I blew a tire in Croatia and that was pretty much the end of my, my trip. So I had to ship my car to Athens. And then from we went to Athens and hung out for a couple of days. And then everybody, we met up with everybody. And then we went over to Mykonos for the, the party, the grand finale party. But uh, Dude, this year, suddenly my be... RV trip across the United States is not looking that exciting. <laughs> you know, you just... <laughs> well, well, the motto the motto of the trip is, is drive all day and party all night uh usually you know usually uh i start we start driving around 8 30 and we get done around six but it's a snippet of what the world looks like and you get a chance to meet other people um there's 150 cars you, and it, last year uh had 82 different countries so it's a lot of fun um get to meet some great people from different places and uh, you know the the this year, like I said, this year was supposed to start off in Toronto, so next year it starts off in Toronto and ends up in Cuba. So uh, I'll be Sick. at uh, north of the border. Wow. So yeah, I'll make so I'll make you a little a little CD for your car. I'll make you a CD for your car. You can put in. You can listen to it. It'll be it'll be Demp's boombox. Uh, I don't have a swingman okay. boombox, but I got Demp's boombox, and I'll make you a little playlist. Okay. 
Perfect. Yeah, you'll like You're it. I promise. Make it, uh, 70, 70 hours of music. You got it, man. Absolutely. <laughs> For sure I will. <laughs> hey, uh, before we let you go, um, uh, the, the match with Mickelson and Tiger playing against um, Tiger and Peyton versus Mickelson and, and, and Tom Brady. Um, you know, A, did you watch it? And B, are you like, all right, now, okay, Tiger, let's go. Me and you are going to take on somebody with Phil. Like, let's get it on. Well, see, I was part of the original Tiger and Friends back in the day when I had... Uh... <laughs> the original Tiger and Friends, I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, it was Tiger. Uh, I can't even think of his name. The actor that played Batman, I mean, Robin. Uh, Chris um, O'Donnell name in a minute Chris O'Donnell and, uh, Chris O'Donnell and Jeff Gordon so it was us three on a scramble versus Tiger so I was the original part of Tiger and Friends the rest of these guys are just you know they're just playing uh, yeah would I do it absolutely but you know well, let's make that you know, happen he, man I think he just, that would be that would be a lot of fun likes, to watch man well, the funny part was how natural that JT sounded and how funny Charles was and uh, the perfect timing of, of, of my man Brady sinking that that, uh, that wedge and, and, uh, for uh, a birdie uh, and then was yelling at uh, suck on that chuck. Uh, it was hilarious because, you know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Um, yep. Good gets you so far, but luck gets you even further. And, uh, you know, but it was it was a good match. I mean, it was it was entertaining. Uh, I think the, the fans loved it. Um, I also think that, you know, raising 20 million dollars for COVID-19 helps. Um, Incredible. You know, families who who who, who need help. But, uh, yep. you know, would I do it? Absolutely. Yeah, well. You were more than lucky. You were good your whole career. Uh, I got a chance to play with you. You're a great teammate, um, a, a really, really good friend. And uh, we appreciate you taking the time, joining us today, catching up with baseball and life. And good luck to your kids. And uh, thanks so much for joining us here on Off the Mound, Junior, man. Really appreciate it. No, thank you. Wow, what a treat that is to be able to sit there and have an entire show just with Ken Griffey Jr. But hey, when you're a Hall of Famer, you're an icon like him, you get your own show. Um, if you enjoyed today's conversation with Ken Griffey Jr. or any of our other past episodes, please download and subscribe to the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And don't forget to watch the show every Friday night at 8 p.m. on Marquee Sports Network. That's a wrap for this week's episode. Talk to you soon. <laughs>